0: Yes. So we've done a lot of things over the years to be more hospitable. And if you want to know more, please see Barbara today or later and find out what are the gaps, how can you contribute, how can you help, how can you encourage others to help. Thank you, Barbara. Okay. Um, and if you missed Ingram's announcement at the very beginning, there's a very special lunch and event um, for uh, Lane Jones after this. And even if you're newer to Covenant, it's a great chance to be around Wynne and Lane and maybe hear more of her story. Um, but if you've been here for a long time, you know how precious they both are and you're gonna stay and celebrate that. If you have questions about that, ask them right afterwards. So let's fly. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for opportunity today to honor our own members. Um, Wynne, who is serving his wife so well and remember Lane and all she's meant to this body, and to cherish memories with her and on her behalf. Thank you for Barbara's announcement, an opportunity for us to practice hospitality as one big family for families in acute need. Uh, Grant us the grace we need from you to respond to your invitations. Please open our hearts as we open your word together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have the thing, we're going to look at the sheets on the front. We're going to look at the verses on the front in the big blue box. We're going to start there. And I'm going to Zoom because I really want to end before noon because of the thing for Lane. Um, y'all are surprised. Today, I'm going to go fast. Okay, like all, Unlike all the other days, I'm going to talk really fast. Okay. Um, so let me just give you some passes you could write down that are related to the first two on the front. In 1 Corinthians 16, one through four, Paul tells the Corinthians, hey, on the first day of the week, set some money aside for the relief of the saints. 1 Corinthians 16, one through four. You've probably heard that passage preached about the importance of giving or tithing, but the direct reason they were collecting money in 1 Corinthians 16, one through four was to take up a collection For the saints, and that meant the saints in Jerusalem who had been dispossessed because they identified with Jesus. So, Jews in the first century, if you said, Yes, Jesus is our Messiah, and your family said, No, he's not, you no longer get the inheritance that you were going to get. So, a lot of Jewish Christians were put out of their families and cut off from their inheritance and lost their jobs and faced all kinds of severe persecution because they identified with Jesus, and all of a sudden they were dealing with some pretty severe poverty. Okay, so First Corinthians six one through four is one of the passages where Paul mentions the collection for the poor. Second Corinthians chapter eight and nine, he does two whole chapters about it, and we're going to look at a big section of that today together. Okay, the end of Romans fifteen. Paul is a good preacher. He has two conclusions to Romans. So chapter 15 is his first conclusion. And much like Robbie Holt, there's a second conclusion following the first conclusion in chapter 16. And so, but Romans is a big support letter. In Romans, Paul's clarifying the gospel that he preaches. And we're really thankful for that. And it's, it's God's inspired word through the apostle Paul. And what Paul was doing was writing a support letter to churches in Rome because he wanted to go from where they were through them onto Spain, taking the gospel further and further west. Okay, and one of the things that Paul mentions in Romans 15, we're gonna read in a minute, is he's passing, he's gonna pass through Rome. He doesn't pass through Rome because he's so committed on taking the collection for the poor from the Gentile Christians to the Jewish Christians, he's arrested. In Jerusalem and ends up in prison in Rome for two years from the where he writes lots of his letters, okay, but we 're working too there, so 1 corinthians 16, 2 corinthians eight nine Romans fifteen okay he mentions this collection for the poor, okay um, but the earliest reference to it is in Galatians two, so this is what you know there's four places in paul 's letter letters where he rem- he members he he mentions the collection for the poor among the Gentile churches. Remember, Paul's the apostle to the Gentile churches. And as he's sharing the gospel with them and they're believing in Jesus, he wants them to generously and sacrificially give money back to their brothers and sisters in Christ who are Jews and who are now facing poverty because they've identified with Jesus. That's what the the collection of Paul is about. Okay, and so I want you to see the verse, first passage today, and it's Galatians 2. So you remember the context of Galatians? Paul and Peter have had some conflict, and Paul has said, I had to confront Peter to his face because he was, he was ripping the gospel apart because Peter, a Jew who believed that Jesus, the apostle Peter, believes that Jesus is the Messiah, of course he does. He was eating barbecue, so to speak, with the Gentiles until the Judaizers showed up. And when his homeboy showed up, he turned his back on the Gentiles. And when Paul showed up, he got in his face and said, you are ripping the gospel to the ground. Right? So it was very much about the gospel. And in that context, Paul in Galatians 1 and 2 is saying, hey, we're now, if you believe in Jesus, you're now in the one family of Abraham. Jew and Gentile alike. There is no longer Jew and Gentile. Right? Paul says it so radically. He says there is no male and female. He doesn't mean there are no longer males and females. He means your status in Christ is equal. Okay? So all the divisions are torn down by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that everyone counts in God's eyes equally from creation and from redemption. That's what Paul's talking about. Well, in chapter 1 and 2, he's defending his gospel. And saying, hey, my gospel to the Gentiles is just as good as James' gospel to the Jews. And we actually had a meeting about that and we actually agreed. So here's the end of that section in chapter 2, 9 and 10. When James and Cephas, Cephas is Peter's original Aramaic name, Hebrew name, right? When James and Cephas and John, so that's Peter, James, and John, right? Pretty significant Hebrew apostles, okay, who seem to be pillars, Paul says, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, this is Paul speaking, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. What was the conclusion? Once basically Peter, James, and John, and Paul and Barnabas, there were others there, they got together and they said, yes, we we're, we're all have the same gospel. We are on the same team. We're, we're not at each other's throats. We're not enemies, and they got together and they said, okay, here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to go to the Gentiles with the gospel, and we're going to go to the Jews with the gospel. That was the decision. It's right there in the passage, right? They gave a hand fellowship to bars me that we should go to the Gentiles, the nations, and they to the circumcised, the Jews. So they had the same message, but contextualized in unique ways to their audiences, right? Now look at verse 10. And see if you can find the key words. Only they had they had one request. Only they asked us, the ministers taking the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, to remember the poor. That was their one request. You, you take the gospel there, we'll take the gospel here. We have one request of you guys. We want you to remember that the Jews in Jerusalem who've identified with Jesus are getting crushed for it, they're living in poverty. That's our one request. Yes, go take the gospel there, but don't forget the poor, your siblings in Christ. And then what did Paul say about that? The very thing I was content to do. <laughs> that's not what he says, eager. So that, that's that, just all by itself, that should grab our attention, Right? Uh, these very significant po- apostles in the first century are dealing with an actual problem, okay? The Jews who said, yes, Jesus is the Messiah we've been waiting for, and we believe in him. They were ostracized by their families, those that didn't believe that message, right? They were put out, they were dealing with all kinds of poverty, and, and the church is taking that very seriously. The church isn't gonna let their family go under because they were like, oh, we're, we're in the same family. Even ac- across cultural and ethnic lines, lines of Jew and Gentile. Okay, so here's, the, here's where it comes up in Romans 15, okay? Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So Paul's writing the, the, his letter to the Christians in Rome, a major pastoral goal. Uh, you might know this, but in, in Rome, the Jews were kicked out of Rome whether they were Christians or not. And now, uh, after certain historical events happened, Jews are coming back into Rome. And what happened in Rome was the Gentile Christians were leaving the church for a while because all the Jews were pushed out of Rome, Christian or not, because they were Jews. Now the Gentiles have been leading the church in Rome, but the Jewish Christians are coming back. And guess what? Having these different cultural backgrounds, there's a little bit of conflict going on when the Jewish leaders come back and they don't all have the exact same conscience scruples. So another reason Paul writes Romans, he writes it to clarify his gospel, to use the true gospel of Jesus Christ to unify God's people, Jew and Gentile in Rome. And it's also a support letter because he wants them to send him on to Spain because people who love the gospel of Jesus Christ want to take it to their neighbors and the nations. It just shows up everywhere in the Bible. Everybody with me? So look what he does in Romans 15. Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Think about that providentially. He will be locked up in prison for two years in Rome. And he will not see them in passing, right? This is before he's arrested. And the reason Paul is arrested and ends up in prison in Rome for two years is when the prophet Agabus comes, Paul is taking the collection from all the Gentile churches. We're going to read about that today. But at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is taking all the collection from the Gentile churches along with other approved leaders. He's got the, the gifts from the Gentile churches and he's taking it to Jerusalem to meet the needs of these people they've been talking about in all these passages. And at one point, Agabus shows up. Remember what He says, And he's got fetters on his arms. And he's like, the one who carries this gift to Jerusalem is going to end up like this. And Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, and everybody else says, don't go. And Paul basically says, over my dead body. Paul is deeply committed to personally taking this gift from the Gentile churches to the Jewish Christians who were suffering because they've identified with Jesus. Right? Right? It's really important to Paul's ministry. So important, even though the prophet Agabus says, yeah, and you're going to get locked up. Paul says, yes, then I'm going. And he goes and he does get arrested in Jerusalem. And then they, he goes to Caesarea and then he ends up appealing to Rome and that's how he ends up in Rome. So just, it's ironic. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. No, you won't. <laughs> you're going to spend two years with us. Contending for the gospel. Verse 25. This is before he gets arrested. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Okay. Full stop. Just for a minute. Pause. Paul talks about this explicitly in 1 Corinthians sixteen one through 4. Well, back historically, chronologically, Galatians 2. It's the only thing Peter, James, and John asked us to do and I was eager to do it. 1 Corinthians 16, the main tithing passage in the New Testament is about this. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, two full chapters in that letter are about the collection for the poor, right? Romans 15, he's writing to the church in Rome as he's about to head to Jerusalem with the gift. He's, he's on his way. He ends up and, and so that's that's four of his letters right there, mentioning it explicitly. In the book of Acts, it's a major theme, it's a major priority for Paul. It's the reason he gets arrested. He ends up in Rome. From Rome, he writes several other letters like the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all written from his Roman imprisonment. Okay? This is a major part of Paul's life. It's a major theme. Okay? We, we've come, we're, we're not all here from one church. We, 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 we grew up in different cities, in different denominations. How many sermons and lessons have you heard about this aspect of Paul's life as you've grown up in the church? I, I was, I've, I've never heard a sermon about it. So that's interesting. It's, it's, it's clearly a major thread in Paul's ministry and his letters, OK, so every now and then when we bump into something that's really obvious, obvious in the service of the text, but it's never come up, we have to ask ourselves, why is that the case? You know, wh- wh- what has kept me from seeing something that's so central and clear? Um, and that's those those questions are worth asking because God loves us so much. One of the things he does is he's constantly defogging our lenses. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to show, Robbie Holt, 500 things that were really obvious that he never saw right? I mean, in the first five minutes, and there's the an next 500, right? There's just, there's just lots of things we've missed, but our God's so patient and gracious and kind. He just wants to open our eyes. He wants us to see all that he has for us to see. And a pastor's job is to show the people of God, the whole counsel of God. And so one of the most important ways you can pray for your pastors, I said previous, is that we'll tell you what God says when we like it and when we don't. So, okay, now flip in Flip into the next page. So it's in 1 Corinthians 16, one through four, where Paul first brings this up to the Corinthians in a letter, okay? And, he's told, and then you can tell he's already talked to them about it, but he put it in writing. Now we're looking at 2 Corinthians eight and nine, and I'm not gonna read all of the two chapters, but both chapters are completely about Paul's collection for the poor, okay? So here's, um, just for background, the church in Corinth began taking up funds according to Paul's instructions, but they hadn't sent the gift yet, okay? They started a good work, but they hadn't finished it. And so Paul writes them in 2 Corinthians, two full chapters, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is intent on motivating them on finishing the good work that they started. makes sense? Now, not everyone in this room has raised teenagers, but I'll tell you, this is, this, is what, this is what parents do, right? <laughs> you started studying. we like you to, you know, why don't you show up and take the test now? Anyway, so this is all Paul's doing. He's just saying, you started this good work, but if you haven't finished it yet, I want to I motivate you to finish what you started. And what they started was taking up the collection for the poor in Jerusalem. Okay, so look at verses 8, 1 and following with me right here. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Note, this is not some kind of social program. Paul is not writing the, the, the city leaders. He's addressing the people of God, right? I want you to know, you Christians in Corinth, what these other churches have done in Macedonia. So in, just so you remember, the, he's talking about the churches in Philippi the churches in Thessalonica and the churches in Berea. That's who he means, right? There, there, there probably would have been lots of house churches and it would have been perceived one church in Philippi meeting in different houses, one church in Thessalonica meeting in houses and likewise in Berea. So when we think about the Bereans, what do we, from the book of Acts, what do we think about the Bereans? We want, to be, we want, we want our church to be like the Bereans, Why? Yeah, they stuck to the Bible and they were like, if the Bible says it, we do it. And Paul here is telling the Corinthians, yeah, that's, they're good. That's, you know, and I want you to be like the Bereans they collected for the poor and then they gave it. And that's, that's the example. So he's, he's using them as an example. Okay. Um, Now look at what he says about the, the churches in Macedonia, these three cities for in a severe test of affliction. In other words, they were going through hard times right? They, they were being pressed. And so if you read, remember 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, the Christians in Thessalonica are going through a hard time because they're being severely mistreated by Jews who've not come to faith in Jesus. And Paul has some very hard words about them in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, especially 1st Thessalonians. Okay, so that's part of the context here. Um, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed, and a wealth of generosity on their part. What did you say? <laughs> how how often do you see those things in the same sentence? It, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. <laughs> Not amazing, right? They're in a severe test of affliction, and they've got severe poverty but they're they're so full of joy because they've met God in Christ Jesus and the spirit is working among them that it's overflowing in acts of generosity. Heavy affliction, severe poverty, but that doesn't keep them in their joy from being generous. That's wonderful. That's why verse one is clear. This is the grace of God at work in them. This is not about works. This is the overflow of grace, right? Right? That's really clear in the passage. Okay, verse three. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor, that's the same word grace, of taking part in the relief of the saints. So like, we know we, we know what the topic is. We know what it's all about. Just break that down with me, verse three, a little bit. Uh, they gave... Beyond their means, it was costly. They gave of their own accord. Paul didn't have to write them a two chapter. (laughs) He's writing the Corinthians because they need to get their act together. He didn't have to write the follow-up letter to the Macedonians. They, They were compelled internally to do it. And not only that, they begged to participate in this grace. They, they, they just couldn't wait. <laughs> Paul, please, 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 please let us contribute. We, we have siblings now in another part of the world. We used to hate them. They used to hate us. But now we're all in Jesus Christ together. We're family. And, and they're suffering because they believed in Jesus, who's their saved Lord and, and their Messiah and our Savior. And we've never met them. But they're our family. And they're suffering now. Can we please help? That, that's what Paul's describing. And he's telling that story to motivate the Corinthians, right? And so he's motivating them by an example of people who have experienced grace and are living by grace. Do you see it? The word grace is all over the passage. This is the grace of God at work in them. Um, okay, verse five. And this, they did. They're doing all this not as we expected. This is amazing. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You see what Paul's saying there? Paul's like, "This is the I know I'm seeing the grace of God working them because in severe affliction they've got joy, and in severe poverty they're being generous." So I know it's the grace of God, and and now I can really explain it to you. It even shocked me, Paul just said, against my expectations. The reason they're doing it is they gave their hearts to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. Does that make sense? So this is a very God-centered action. Paul is going out of his way to be explicit. This is about grace, and this is about God, right? Right? and it's overflowing in an act of concrete generosity to people they, now, they used to see as enemies, but now they see as family. Okay, that's wonderful. Okay, verse six. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among y'all this act of grace. Please see that. Grace, 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 favor, grace, grace, right? So Titus isn't a trusted leader, whom they can trust, they can take all of that they've collected and they can give it to Titus because he's trustworthy. People, godly people have laid hands on Titus and they don't have to worry about him being a thief. Right? And what Paul wants them to do is to complete this work of grace, this act of grace. Wonderful. Okay. They want to please God. That's it. That's right. The, the heart of it is God himself, which we'll get, and it comes back to that. You're exactly right. They gave themselves, their hearts first to the Lord, right? They're, they've experienced God's grace and they responded to God's grace. This is worship, right? This isn't, this isn't some social agenda. This isn't activism. This isn't politics. This is God graciously speaking to his own people and, sa- and showing us what it's like when his grace w- w- washes into our lives, right? It produces an overflow, like in so many other ways. Okay, so verse six. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among y'all this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel and this act of grace also. So this is the first imperative in the passage. I want you to excel in this act of grace. I want this act of grace to crash into your life and just go viral. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. Not this law, Not this set of rules. I want to happen in your hearts what happened in the hearts of the Macedonian believers. I want you to be enthralled by God's generous grace to you so you're longing to be generous and gracious to others. That's all he's doing. Really simple, straightforward. Okay, so let's flip over uh, to the next page. Now I'm, I'm jumping in. All right, look at verse eight above the right side. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And now Paul wants to just, he's been saying grace, 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 but this is Second Corinthians 8, 9. Now he wants to, to just make sure that grace isn't like an abstract churchy word, so he makes the gospel really clear. And what does he say? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might be made rich. That's the, that's the gospel, right? Is it, is, it, is, that, is it really clear that that's just the gospel Paul's saying there, right? Right? And that's the heart, that's the, that's the central thrust motivator in the whole two chapters. For you know, you know, he, he said grace, 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 grace. Now he's like, we've got this phenomenal definition and example of God's grace. You already know the grace of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, what does Paul mean he was rich? Shout out some words. What does he mean that he was rich? Yeah, in grace, that's for sure, but he's talking about he's doing a temporal trip. He became poor, so before he became poor, what well, He had all the glories of heaven. What else would you say? What, what's the eternal riches of, of the eternal Son of God before he was born and became incarnate? Do what? Yeah. Yeah, everyone celebrated his holiness and his glory. You remember we were studying Isaiah in, in, in Sunday school, and we see that vision of Isaiah six. You know, John says that that um, Isaiah saw Jesus's glory in heaven. John tells us that Isaiah six vision is about the Son of God too. Right. So we believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God, three persons, forever. So when the seraphim are flying with. Two wings, they're covering their eyes, and two, they're covering their face, and two, they're saying in the presence of God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? That that applies to the Son just as much as it does to the Father. So, that all glorious, all eternal, all honored, all powerful, all wise, all wonderful, all completely God, eternal Son of God, became poor. So, what does Paul mean by he, he became poor? Let's just just talk about it for a minute. How did the eternal son of God become poor? Name some of the ways. Do what? Yeah. Yeah. He added to himself our real humanity. And when you watch the man, Christ Jesus, he hungers. The bread of life. He was humbled and he was humble. That's great. Well, what a house did he experience Poverty. He was rejected instead of worshipped. The eternal son of God added our humanity, walked on the earth, accepted all those limit, human limitations. And though he should have been celebrated as the king we've always wanted and the eternal son, he was rejected. Despised, misunderstood, mistreated. How else was he poor? His own family rejected him. Now, if you, uh, lots of, it had to hurt. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a, oh, the son of, birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes and the birds of their hair have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He, when he went into his itinerant three-year ministry, he was, he didn't have a home. He, he depended on the generosity and the hospitalities of others or he slept outside. When I preach this at Urban Hope Community Church, that, not this, but that passage, I said he couch surfed because that happens in that community. You go from couch to couch. He was needy. needy. What was it back there? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Okay. Go, Jeannie. Yeah, yeah. The father rightfully turned himself from the man Christ Jesus on the cross because he took all of our sins upon himself. So how about this depth of poverty? All of our debts were placed on him. So he who was rich for your sake became poor so that you through his voluntary impoverishment might be made rich for 5 minutes forever in 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 immeasurable amounts for time for beyond time immeasurable eternity pretty great, <laughs> right? And that, that when, when Paul keeps saying grace, grace, grace here and the grace of God's operative and grace of God's flow in your life, he meet, this is the heart of it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you th- by his poverty might be made rich. And one of the poverties is when, when Mary and Joseph brought him in, the true lamb of God, the, the rightful sacrifice to deal with the impurities of the law were to bring a lamb, Joseph and Mary are bringing the lamb of God to the temple, but they can't afford a lamb. That's why they brought two turtle doves. That was the Levitical, it's Leviticus 12. That was the law for the family that can't afford the primary sacrifice. So when Joseph and Mary are bringing the lamb of God to the temple to dedicate him, they can't afford the appropriate, the the standard offering. So they bring the offering for the poor. So he was born into a poor family. Into an insignificant town was rejected. But that was for you, right? He did that so that you and I in him would have unbelievable riches forever and ever and ever. And Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, when that clicks, right? When, when that penny drops, it frees you up in some unbelievable ways. In the present, because this age we're living in that we put so much emphasis on, this age is very short, But you're already heirs of the age to come. Jesus is is the rightful heir of all the blessings of the age to come. And you're in Jesus. So even if you're going to like extra suffer now in this age, you're made for the age to come. It's never going to end. And you can't even imagine your wealth that already belongs to you in the age to come. That's the kind of logic Paul's using. Does that make sense? And therefore, it's freed up people, even people that are suffering, to be generous. I got to fly. Okay, here we go. Um, so, he, so, but Paul's not done. <laughs> he, he understands that motivating hearts is hard work. So he's given an example of a church enthralled by God's grace. He's given us the primary picture of God's grace, which is Jesus Christ becoming impoverished to enrich us. And that's worth meditating on for a year, by the way. Right? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you, you, you will never plumb the depths of 2 Corinthians 8 9. So great. Okay, but he's, but he's going to keep going. And in this matter, verse 10, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Isn't that great? <laughs> um, so am I taking up an offering from you to meet the needs of the Jewish Christians over here whom you've never met, who you used to hate? I am. Will it benefit them? It will. They'll get, they'll get to eat and feed their children. Okay. But now Paul says, this benefits you, you, the giver. This is good for you. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I know the stones are given beyond their means. I'm not even asking you to give beyond your means. don't do that. Give according to your ability. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened. Paul was not a Marxist. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Equality. As is written, whoever whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That's a reference to Exodus 16 and the manna. God's the one who supplies all that we need, and there's always enough. Okay. Alright, so now I'm not gonna read 816 through 95, but I want you to see what Paul does in that section is he talks about the wisdom of doing significant projects. And he highlights trusted partners, Titus and others. It's all for God's glory. That's a big theme in that section. Making concrete plans and following through with them, that's good. So as I said above there in my notes, touchdowns are better than punts. So in the SEC country, can we say that? That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. If if he was writing to churches in Alabama, he'd be like, guys, you all know touchdowns are better than punts. That's what he's saying here. But I just put on the side next to that 816 through 95, which I encourage you to read, I put Urban Hope Community Church. Because part of what you need to bless others is just trusted partners who are deeply invested in the kind of things we're talking about today. And like, faith promise. No, not faith promise, sorry. Family promise. Faith promise is how we give our missionaries. But family promise, right? It's just... It, You may have noticed this, that the the secret to parenting is sneaky partnerships. Well, sometimes that's the secret to ministry too. It's sneaky partnerships. It's being innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. It's figuring out how to partner together in ways when it's tricky. Okay, Um, now look at nine, six, and following. More motivation. Now, if you're in the room right now and you're a Bible teacher, you're about to see words that just really make you happy. The point is this, hey, if you're teaching the Bible and the author says, now the point of what we've been saying is X, you take that to the bank, right? Like it's just, you don't have to, there's no debate now. Like what, what's Paul's point? What's he driving at? The point is this, and look at what he does. He, he pulls all this great Old Testament stuff, which is really interesting because the Corinthians were almost, almost all Gentile. There were some Jews in Corinth, but the Corinthian church was largely a Gentile church. And Paul here alludes to like a ton of Old Testament stuff, including Isaiah 55, which we read Sunday. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You see what he's saying? If he could stop right there and ask you a question, he would say, do you want to reap sparingly or do you want to reap bountifully? You, you see what Paul's do, doing here? He wants you to be greatly enriched in the most significant ways. Do you want to bear, do you want to reap sparingly? Do you want to have short treasure? Do you want to have a little bit of treasure for a very short period of time and be very comfortable in the present? Or do you want to have immeasurable treasure forever and ever, ever, and have joy in God's presence in living in in the new way that's only possible through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's what Paul's talking about here. This is not health and wealth stuff. This isn't if you give to your preacher, I'd love to have health. If you give to your preacher today, I guarantee you, God will bless you. Checks right here. That is bogus baloney. The Corinthians might give and give and give for years and get no richer in this age. It might only hurt them in the present age to give, but they're going to live forever. And, that, and Paul gets there. Okay, so um, we don't believe in the health and wealth gospel, even though we do sometimes in our hearts. We don't believe it, right? It isn't true. Um, okay, so each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Isn't that great? Paul is not making a rule for the churches. He's riding to the churches and he's like, hey, all of you just make a free decision. Do it, do it in your heart. And look what he says. "Um, Not reluctantly or under compulsion, no one should be twisting your arm. If your new pastor's twisting your arm, kick him out. Okay, four, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, does this verse mean that God will love you if you are a cheerful giver, is that what it means? Not at all you never ever ever earn god's love. So what does it mean? God delights in givers who give out of joy. He loves it. That's what it means. You don't God doesn't love you more based on your performance. That's not what this means. Right? God delights in people who are generous out of a generous, cheerful, joyful heart. So if you belong to God, one of the questions you ask sometimes is like, you know, how do I give God pleasure? How do I, how do I express my love for, for God? And one of the ways is to be generous and to do it from your heart. Okay. 1146. All right. And so here, remember the point is this verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in All things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's the present wealth Paul wants for you. Does that make sense? It's not health and wealth gospel in that shallow way. If you give $1,000 to your pastor today, you're going to get a European vacation and seven houses and fancy cars. That's the false stuff. Paul is saying, "I I want you to respond to who God is and how he's treated you I want you to meet needs, but I want you to I want it to come out of a grace-changed heart that celebrates God, and God is funding that. That's what he's saying here. God is funding that kind of joy. God is funding that kind of generosity. That's what's great. God's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work, which would include like ministries of encouragement, ministries of service, baking a cake for Betsy Morris. So when she has international students who haven't met Jesus yet and they come to her home so she can sneakily tell them about Jesus, she could also hand them, you know, a taco or a piece of cake or amazing Thai food, whatever it is right? So there's just all kinds of ways to participate. God is able to make all grace abound to you in every good work. Being generous is not the only good work, but it's the one emphasized in this passage. As is written, he's distributed freely. He, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That's a quote from Psalm 112. Okay. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What do you think? The blanks are there. You cannot what? Yeah, that's it. That's it. You cannot outgive God. Okay. If this if this kind of talks confusing to you, <laughs> I would say go look at Second Corinthians 8, 9, meditate on it, and then really meditate. On verse 11. This is, this is God's commitment to funding the stuff that he loves. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's great. Okay. Now I'm glad you're flipping pages. because We got to fly. Here's the end, the very end. And guess what? We're going to do practical stuff at the very end. And I left myself um, just enough minutes. Here's the end of the passage. For, this, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. What? I oh, thought that was all it was about. But also, it, this, this ministry, which is giving, meeting the needs of the poor saints in Jerusalem, is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The Macedonians are thanking God for the privilege of participating. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are thanking God that their needs are being met. And if you participate, Paul's like, here's the suggestion. You're going to th- be giving God thanks that you got to participate in this. If, if, if you get your heart right by the grace of God, not in other ways. Okay. How? By their approval of this service, they glorify God because of your... This is really about those that receive it and those that hear about the Corinthians participating By your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Once again, the gospel is clear and center, central. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his indestructible gift. Okay, good. We did that. Syncretes 8 9. Read it again at another pace one day. But I want to end here. Okay. In 1 Timothy 6. Paul, remember, First and Second Timothy are not letters by Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote a young pastor named Timothy two letters to tell him how to be a pastor. That's great. <laughs> right? That's gold for people like me. Right? Because the Apostle Paul wrote a pastor, a letter about how to be a pastor. Pretty great. Well, the end of 1 Timothy, sorry, 1 Timothy 6, he tells Timothy how to pastor people who have wealth. And I want you to hear it because the generous heart of God drives the passage. The generous heart of God drives the passage, okay? So here, here's some practical things. There's seven practical things to do if you're wealthy. And uh, our standards compared to the first century people, everyone in this room is crazy, wild, wealthy. That's just a, that's just a fact, okay? They were, you know, it's a different culture. Okay, here we go. As for the rich in this present age, nobody did there, not in the first century. This present age means in between Christ's two advents. So we're in the same age. This age was inaugurated by the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And this age will be consummated when Jesus Christ returns. And then the new age, which is already here in Jesus in the Spirit, will overtake everything. So this is for any pastor during this whole time between these two advents, okay? For as for the rich in this present age, charge them. So here's seven things. You can write them down. Here's what I'm supposed to charge you to do. Number one, it's negative. Don't be haughty. So here's a real test of whether or not you believe the health and wealth gospel. If you have wealth and you're haughty, it's either worldly pride or spiritual pride. And Paul says pride's a killer, so don't be haughty. Number two, tell them not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Riches can't do for you what you think they can. Number three, put your hope on God. Who okay, so number, number three, is put your hope on God. We'll come back to the reason why. It's coming. Hold on. Now, verse 18, they, that is the rich in this present age, are to do good, that's the next one. To be rich in good works, that's the next one. To be generous and ready to share, okay? So that's what I'm supposed to tell people with wealth to do. To don't, don't be haughty, don't trust in riches, do trust in God, and then in order, number one, do good, well, this is number four, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. And now, let's look at verse 17 and 19. Here's, here's the reason you're supposed to put your trust in God, not in your riches. Look at, listen to the description of God God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Please let those words pop off the page. What is God like? He's generous. And if he's given you a lot, he gave you a lot to enjoy it. The Apostle Paul said it right there. See that? Paul has a very positive view of the creation, go read chapter 4, and of wealth. Paul is, he's not anti-creation, he's not anti-the body, he's not anti-wealth. He's, he has very strong words against greed, but he's not anti-wealth. God's given us everything to enjoy. And then what, what are you doing when you are good, rich in good works, generous right here? By the way, did you know the the rich in this age, the uncertainty of riches, God richly provides us with enjoy. they're to do good to be rich in good works. He uses the same word for riches all four times. So to be rich in good works, it's, it's, it's not a ne- rich is not a negative word for Paul right? We're you're, you're to be good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share and look at what it is. Thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. What is truly life is fellowship with God now and forever and ever and ever and the true wealth that can't be measured and, and doesn't fit inside time right? And so basically what Paul's saying here is in this present short life, if if I believe that this age is short and the next age is eternal, I can discipline myself and act in ways in the present that show that I believe that. And when I do that, I'm I'm if I know that this age is really short and the one to come lasts forever and ever and ever, if I'm a sacrificial giver in this age, that's really wise because I can't keep what is in this age. If my imagination is fixed on this age, then I can't live in wisdom. I'm a short-term investor. Does that make sense? If if my entire imagination is is anchored to this age, which is very short, do y'all know that it's already May? It was Christmas 14 seconds ago. Okay, this age is short; it's flying by. When we're in when we're in eternity, our perspective back will be like, "Wow, it was a it was a it was a a breeze." Just life just went through. But it's, it's hard. We have to tell ourselves this. And it's my job as one of your pastors to tell you this. You and I are, are God's people rescued by God's grace. And we're, we're living out our faith in a very, very short age. My dad turns 81 this month. That's a short life compared to the age to come. And if you can live in the present age like the age to come is never going to end and you're already wealthy here, wealthy but on imagination, that's a great motivator to live differently in this present age. Or your heart's telling you this age is really all there is and I got to protect mine here because no one really, I can't trust anyone else to, to protect me. And that's the opposite of what God's saying to you. You're deeply loved. You belong to him. And forever and ever and ever, all that's his is already yours in Christ Jesus. And that's what's to free us up to live both ways. I got to close. We're going to go celebrate Win and Lane. Father in heaven, thank you for your rich grace to us. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for taking your debts upon us and sharing your eternal inheritance with us. By your spirit, free us up to believe what your word says not just on paper, but in little moments and in concrete ways. Please grant us this grace that you love to supply. In Jesus' name, amen.